Football systems check. Microphone. Check. Record enabled. Kate. Check. Michelle. Check. All systems go. I repeat, all systems go. We got a problem. We got a Copy. We have ball blast. I repeat, we have ball blast. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to the Ball Blast Podcast. Here to help you get ballsy and win your fantasy football leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Kay Majuk, Michelle Majuk, and Jake Trowbridge. Ayo! Ayo! Welcome into the Ball Blast Fantasy Football Podcast, where it's our goal to help you get ballsy and win your fantasy football leagues. I'm your host, Michelle Majuk, researcher for NFL Network. I'm joined by my wife, Kate Majuk, content manager with DraftKings Nation, and Jake Trowbridge, social manager extraordinaire and contributor with Matthew Barry's Fantasy Life. Jake, am I saying your last name correctly? Because I just started saying last names here. I feel like I kind of even messed up my last name. Did I say yours correctly? <laughs> Look, you pretty much nailed it. You did better than 95% of telemarketers when they call. So I feel like I also trip over my last name because it's an odd, it, like it's a, you have to really like move your jaw in a weird way. Trowbridge. Like yeah, it's the a lot. T-R-O-W, yeah. the Tro. That's yeah. a great way to describe like the complication there. It's the jaw movement. Yeah. I'm also just not a fantastic speaker. So (laughs) it has a little. Don't sell yourself short. (laughs) You just have to enunciate. Yes. (laughs) Today's episode, we're going to do last chance you. You? Last chance, comma, Y O U. You there. We're not, you know, no. No copyright infringements here. Don't come after us. <laughs> but uh, that's what we'll be doing in that segment. You know, guys that have been disappointing for fantasy, but we're going to give one more chance to. One more chance. That's it. This one season. And if they're not good, we're kicking them out. One shot, one opportunity. Even though most likely we'll probably make an excuse for them next off season to be right back on them. Because hey. it's really hard to get off. No. Last chance, you. This is their last chance to perform at whatever level. We'll let you know what level we're expecting from them as we get into that. But before we get into last chance, you, we have our talk of the town. You know, you're kind of the talk of the town. Talk of the town. You're the talk of the town. Talk of the town. Before we get into last chance, you, we got to do talk of the town. And today we're going to discuss handcuff running back strategies. Kate, do you want to explain handcuff running backs? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, uh, it's the concept of drafting the backup. And you would wonder, why why am I drafting my backup? It's the best insurance policy in the entire world. But some handcuffs are more valuable than others. Um, Some, you know, running backs, like Derrick Henry, the guy that's just literally never left the field until 2021, his handcuffs haven't been that valuable. But hey, Deonta Foreman disagrees. I but I'm saying that was in 2021. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. When he was injured, but like for instance, James Conner's handcuff will come in probably some pretty good usage because he gets injured often, and 
You know, like you have to think, are these players going to miss time? Um, if this player gets injured, who is the next man up? And if they do get injured, is there any guy like it's not always next man up. Is there a player that you see taking over the workhorse role within that offense? You have to ask yourself all of those questions, I think, before you invest in any handcuff at any position. So, Jake, let's get the conversation started with you. Are you the type of guy that drafts a, your own handcuff? So let's say you take Dalvin Cook early. Are you looking to get Alexander Madison for your handcuff? Or are you looking to grab someone else's handcuff? So let's say, you know, CMC is on another team. But you're like, you know what? He could get hurt again. So I'm going to take Deonta Foreman later on, and I'm going to focus on him as my handcuff. What kind of strategy do you, you go with? Well, let me start off by saying that I rarely, very rarely draft any handcuff in the draft. At the draft, I rarely am the guy who's taking a, a handcuff. And my logic for it is that my few bench spots that I have in most redraft leagues that I have, it's just, it's just a handful of bench spots. I like to be churning those constantly during the first few weeks of the season to try and find those waiver wire gems. Now, that is the same few weeks where you're probably less likely to actually utilize that handcuff. So I feel like it's why I don't do it at the draft. However, throughout the season, if handcuffs are dropped, I'm not averse to picking them up. And when I do, then I want the other person's handcuff. I don't want just my own, which I think... For listeners, it seems like that would be the most practical way. It's like, okay, my running back gets hurt, so I have my running back's insurance policy. But I like to look at it from the other lens of, okay, I can get a almost replacement level guy for my own guy when he goes down, or I can hopefully keep my guys healthy. And if their guy goes down, my league mate's guy goes down, now I have an extra running back that I can use. And I prefer that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm not really looking to draft handcuffs because like you said, you only have a certain amount of bench spots and you're likely to drop them before they're usable anyways. You're kind of hoping for that early season injury for someone else's player. Or if you draft your own handcuff, you're kind of like, they're only useful if your guy that you took super early got gets hurt in like week one or week two. Like that, that sucks. So uh, I'm with you there. Kate, what's your strategy here? Do you Are you typically one to take handcuffs and if you do is it your own or someone else's i absolutely take handcuffs but it's going to be somebody else's and there has to be some concern for me for a specific player like i jake like you said i'm not going to draft a random handcuff on the off chance that somebody gets injured but if there is a concerning circumstance whether that be injury or disciplinary reasons a la dalvin cook if there are question marks, that is where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to grab the handcuff to that guy. I mean, doing that with James Conner and Le'Veon Bell won you a fantasy football league, like hands down. And I mean, even when there were questions about whether Lev Bell was going to show up, uh, I mean, James Conner was still falling into like the sixth round. I mean, it, Looking at some current circumstances in the league, you have questions about Alvin Kamara. Uh, we just got news that David Johnson was visiting today, which uh, you might scoff at the name, but like I, I think he's a big enough name that they're taking maybe some of those concerns seriously that he might not be around. 
Dalvin Cook, there's been questions about whether or not he'll face suspension for um, some some earlier stuff in the offseason. And I think we kind of forget about that. But, like, if Dalvin Cook misses games, like, we know Alexander Madison is going to absolutely perform his butt off. So, like, yeah. I, need I, a, I need a perpetuating circumstance before I buy into the handcuff, but – I for sure want somebody else's. Alexander Madison's kind of a cheat here with Handcuff because he is the best one to have, right? Dalvin Cook gets injured pretty much every single season. He's never played a full season, actually, in his career. And when Madison starts, he is literally just as good as Dalvin Cook. I'm not saying, like, on the field and his impact for the team and what he does, but, like, his fantasy points, he almost always balls out in the same way that Dalvin Cook does for you. Obviously, a much smaller sample size, but he's really just a really nice handcuff to have. So that is one guy I would think about drafting if I were to take Dalvin Cook early. It depends on where he goes, right? I'm not going to like reach super early for him, but if he lands at a nice spot, I'm open to that. Now, people might be like, well, what about A.J. Dillon and Daryl Williams? And like, I think those are really nice picks, but I don't consider them handcuffs. Like, I think A.J. Dillon's going to have his complete own role with Aaron Jones there and might be the better of the two in fantasy. And then Daryl Williams, I'm I'm fine taking him and I'm not considering just a handcuff. Obviously, if James Conner goes down, then his production should go way up. But I still think he's going to be utilized in that backfield with Conner and in the passing game. So I really like both of those guys later on, but I just don't consider them handcuffs. So that's why I'm leaving them out here. I do think that's an important distinction to make, too, is that there are some, like, quote-unquote backup running backs who have standalone value for their team whether that be like specifically just a third down role or whatever their role is like there are some running backs that though they aren't the lead back they have defined roles and I don't always consider them the backup they're not always the backup because they you know if, if you know your lead back goes down they might not necessarily fill that role they might continue filling that third down roll and they'll bring in the next guy who can do you know more short yardage so you do have to make that distinction and make that analysis I think on a team by team basis yeah my strategy here when it comes to running backs later in the drafts I normally take those PPR guys because I play in PPR leagues mostly and in that case in the later rounds I'm looking at the Kenneth Gainwells and the JD McKissicks and the Daryl Williams Naheem Hines like I'll take those guys that are going to be involved in an offense no matter what, PPR, you don't necessarily want to start them, but you can in a pinch. And those are the kind of guys I'll take one or two to have on my bench uh, to be a backup for my fantasy teams. And then as the season progresses, maybe then in the middle of the season, you start to look at what running backs you kind of want to pick up for handcuffs on other people's handcuffs, basically, if uh, one of those stars go down. Once it gets closer to the playoffs, let's say Joe Mixon has taken me super far, Right. And he's done really well, and I'm almost to the playoffs, and it's like, wow, if he got hurt, my team would be screwed. Then I'm okay, because you don't need that You don't need that depth. I'm okay picking up a Samaje P. Ryan or whoever, you know, maybe Chris Evans is doing well at that time, but picking up his backup to have that insurance by the time it hits playoffs, because you don't need that. You don't need all that depth. But that's kind of how I go about it. Jake, anything I, to add? I do feel like we overestimate, or I overestimate at least, my own ability to project who the true backup is. Like, okay, as you were talking about before, it's like, yeah, maybe the guy who's out there seeing complimentary snaps 
stays just the complimentary person. But we like to think, oh, they're out there on the field more. So if the first guy goes down, that's who's going to get slotted in. And we see it happen all the time where that's not the case. But so I don't have a ton of trust outside of the main couple of top ones where we know, like Tony Pollard is backing up Ezekiel Elliott, Alexander Madison is backing up Dalvin Cook. So at the risk of just shooting myself in the foot again, I mean, there's a couple of guys that I'm interested in keeping an eye on. You mentioned Derek Henry earlier. I'm interested in keeping an eye on that backfield again this year because we don't know how Derrick Henry is going to perform. Now, I'm not drafting Hassan Haskins, who I project to be his backup, but it'd be really interesting because if he goes down, if Derrick Henry does go down, then it seems like they're preparing to have Hassan Haskins be that guy. So I don't know. This is where I more start formulating my little list of who the true backups and handcuffs are, but I'm not making any moves based on this, obviously. Yeah, and I think one big one is Brian Robinson, the new running back. They drafted him in the third round for the Commanders. With Antonio Gibson, he's been up and down. He's had his injury history as well. Uh, And it just seems like they do not want to – I don't know. They're not utilizing him to his full ability. So he's someone I'm also keeping an eye on. I'm probably not going to draft him because it's probably just going to be a waste of a spot and you're going to end up dropping him before he's useful anyways. Definitely a guy I'm going to keep an eye on throughout the season on waivers. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great place to end this discussion. I will say, Jake, I'm very happy with your uh, Hassan Haskins note there. I think like that's one of these names that I can very easily project myself to uh, pick up maybe like around week three, even if nothing happens to Derrick Henry, just like as a stash i think he'd be a really interesting name um but tony pollard and alexander madison both names that i think are probably the only ones are going to be on my draft list yeah okay cool now we we got through that it was a hot topic this last week on twitter people are really upset and actually like to end it here i know you just said that kate but with handcuffs, if you're drafting them, so much of it comes down to luck. Or if you're picking them off waivers, it's we cannot predict injuries. If you have that handcuff, you just got super lucky. It really doesn't matter what strategy you, you want to go with. Draft your own, draft someone else's. It doesn't matter. It all comes down to luck of the draw, which players. Like, you're not rooting for injury, but which players get injured, and then voila, you have their backup. Yeah, luck of the draw for you, not, not, the not their starter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not their player. <laughs> All right, let's hop into our main segment today. Last chance, you. Again, last chance, comma, Y-O-U. Last chance, you. (laughs) This is your last chance, you. So, Jake, we'll start with you. Who's your first guy that you're giving one more shot to in fantasy football at, at, at a reasonable ADP? Yeah, this guy has one more shot to prove that he is elite as people want to consider him to be, and that's Terry McLaurin, wide receiver for the Washington Commanders. I'm not saying that he's not a decent fantasy asset and that he's not a really good real-life wide receiver because he is both of those things. But people just, they want him to be elite so badly every year, and so he's drafted on the precipice of that. You know, he's not the top, like, 10 guys, of course, but... He's always flirting too close to that high ADP for me to be comfortable with. However, you know, it's it's not like he's been worthless, as I said, but his points per game finishes these last three years. 
uh, not great. I mean, 2021, he was wide receiver 32. The year before that, wide receiver 20. Then the year before that, wide receiver 30. Again, points per game. I understand that he's had just the worst luck with quarterbacks. I mean, his best quarterbacks over those years, probably Case Keenum and Alex Smith for the handful of games he got there. So I understand what the argument is for Terry McLaurin, and that's why I'm willing to give him this last chance. But I can't be without the concerns here because he hasn't had any competition either on that depth chart. Like, if you look back, besides Logan Thomas, tight end, J.D. McKissick, a running back, his competition here at wide receiver, let's go down the list for the guy with the second most targets at wide receiver in these three years. Last year, it was Adam Humphreys. Year before that, it was Cam Sims. The year before that, it was Steven Sims. Two different Simses ended up just below Terry McLaurin. And there is no competition there. So it's like, you would have liked to have seen him make this jump already. And so the only thing that was holding him back, potentially, is that quarterback. So Carson Wentz comes in. Nobody's out here saying that Carson Wentz is a dynamo at quarterback at this point either, but significantly an upgrade, especially when we're talking about like deep throws. That's the thing that I would hope here. Now, obviously the elephant in the room at the time of recording is that Terry McLaurin not planning to report (laughs) for mandatory minute gap, holding out for, you know, a contract here. So obviously if he holds out, then nobody drafting him anyways, but if that all gets sorted out ahead of time, like I'm, I'm willing to hope that he can hit it here with Carson Wentz and, and make something happen. You know, if he finishes in the top 15, then it's like, cool. We kind of have, you know, juice going forward where he's he's that guy. But until that happens, it's scary. Scary Terry. Scary Terry. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm 100% with you here. And I'm probably not even giving him this year as a chance just because his ADP stays so high because he is such a talented wide receiver. Like, truly believe he's one of one of the best wide receivers out there. And the commanders should be paying him because they need him, right? But I just don't know if he's ever going to be that elite fantasy wide receiver and like you said like why hasn't he done it in the last three years like obviously we can blame on the quarter quarterbacks but there's been no competition and now you're at wide receiver and now you're adding in a first round pick in Jahan Dotson and then possibly Curtis Samuel will finally stay healthy maybe Logan Thomas will stay healthy it's target competition is going to get way harder maybe they get a little bit better but it's still Carson Wentz too uh, yeah I'm with you he's got to he's got to show a little bit more juice this year but I do think his upside's pretty high. Do like, you? Like, what if, do you think his upside if thing, is? Uh, if things click for him, what is his current ADP? I don't know. I don't have it. Because it feels, I, I want to say it's around, like, wide receiver 20, 22. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure he's flirting with top 20 here still, if not just inside that. And that, like, I think, do you not think he has potential, if all things go right, to finish as a top 12 wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that would be a nice return on investment, but that that's saying everything needs to go right here. Yeah. He needs, so that's, he needs to score some touchdowns. That's my issue is that like for him to, he's still being drafted kind of as a wide receiver 16. That's high for me. Oof. Yeah, that's high. Wide receiver 16. Cause I do think his upside is probably right around wide receiver. 10 to 12. Like, I think Michael Pittman well. has a higher upside, and he's going after him. But yeah. For sure. 
We shall see. Again, nothing to do with Terry McLaurin, but sooner or later, like how many times can we keep drafting you hoping you're going to finally, you know, get a better quarterback? It's Maybe if he ends up getting traded and going to a great quarterback, then we can give him another chance if he doesn't do it this year. Um, my guy, who actually this goes with, Juju Smith-Schuster, he did get a massive upgrade at quarterback. He's going to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Listen, people are giving up on this man. After his second season where he put up massive numbers, 1,426 yards, 111 receptions. I mean, in his second year, you don't see that very often. Like, that's a truly special season. And since then, he hasn't done a whole ton, right? And people are kind of giving up on him. I will just say it hasn't been that long ago since we gave up on Allen Robinson. He had his massive 1,400-yard season in his second year. He went three seasons without doing anything after that and then got back to his game uh, the fourth season after that. So there's still hope, and I will say I think so much of it has to do with the Steelers' offense he was in because people can blame it on Antonio Brown leaving, and that's why his yards per reception went down and all that. In 2019, with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges and no Antonio Brown, he had 70 targets through 12 games. That's not great, but it was a run-heavy scheme. The quarterbacks were garbage. And he averaged 13.1 yards per reception. That's very good yards per reception. That's actually higher than what he averaged in 2018. In 2017, as a rookie, he was averaging 15.8 yards per reception. That's really high. 2018, it went down to 12.8. 2019, 13.1. Like, those are all really good wide receiver numbers for yards per reception. And then it just plummeted in 2020. 8.6 yards per reception. But people can't just throw away that season and act like Juju's only had one productive season. He still had 97 receptions and nine touchdowns. That is not an easy feat. That's still a good season. The issue is he only put up 800 yards. It was 600 fewer yards than his massive 2018 season on just 14 fewer receptions. That's all he had, 14 fewer receptions, 600 fewer yards. That's completely due to the offense. And 2021, he got hurt, so we didn't really get to see him. He was hurt pretty much the entire year. I'm telling you guys, the offense was so incredibly bad. There was just nothing going on down the field. I'm giving another chance. He's going to the Chiefs. I have more stuff about the quarterbacks. I'll I'll, I'll get through it quickly because Kate's already annoyed with me. I can see. But last year, 11 of the 12 quarterbacks that scored 18-plus fantasy points per game, they all had a top 12 or top 10 fantasy wide receiver or were elite rushers, right? Like I'm talking Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, like guys that get a ton of rushing yards and rushing touchdowns, or they had a top tier wide receiver on their team. So either you're saying Patrick Mahomes is not going to be top 12 quarterback in fantasy, which nobody would ever say that, or that, you know, one of his wide receivers are going to have a really good season. And I, I think they are. Maybe it's not Juju, but I'm going to say it will be Juju. But I'm Michelle, what do you think? What do you think about Juju and Patrick Mahomes' brothers doing their TikToks together? Isn't that going to be so distracting? <laughs> <laughs> I can't with people who hate his TikTok dances so much and they think that's the reason he's not doing well. It's like, guys, would you rather him out? Is drinking and having DUIs like the rest of these, like some of these other guys out there. I've heard less complaints about Deshaun Watson. Literally. I'm not kidding. I, he's dancing. Relax. He's relax. Let him have right, fun. Like, he's out there having fun. 
also, like, I have been, you know, I've had two careers now at this point, and I find myself incredibly devoted or having been incredibly devoted to each of them, and I still have hobbies. (laughs) I am allowed a hobby. Like, they're like, well, how can we trust that he's focused on the game? I don't know. Do you do literally anything but work? Like... (laughs) I'm so like I am so baffled by the whole TikTok thing, like how that even finds its way into the narrative. Because like, because he's happy and people hate happy people. We just don't. We don't hear about anybody else's hobbies. Do you really think it's because they don't have them, or just because they're not? uh, You guys hear that Cooper Cup has like gotten super into crosswords this off season. I don't know how that's (laughs) going to affect his on field performance. So distracted, like. No, right, that's Kate, not gonna work. Who is your last chance? You, I love this one because I almost put him. Mm, I don't want to talk about I it. I almost put him. <laughs> but it's TJ Hawkinson. I hate you. Um, last two seasons had just eight fantasy points per game, six point one targets per game, which was the eighth most among running backs with at least a hundred targets since twenty twenty. Still performing as the tight end ten, but we're still paying top end pricing for TJ Hawkinson. And that is where my concern lies. I always hate giving up on a tight end early. Um, And I do think this is still like early for TJ Hawkinson. Like he's still young enough. The draft capital is still there. I'm not giving up on him in dynasty, but for where you have to draft TJ Hawkinson, I do think that there's plenty of concern. He's not had Um, in the fantasy season, a multi-touchdown game. He's only had one game of 100 or more receiving yards in a single game. I, like, I love TJ Hawkinson. I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity. I love the talent, but it's the draft cost that has me backing off. And I'm saying, like, if this is going to be your production, I'm going to need to grab you at the late end of my drafts and I don't know that TJ Hawkinson for name value alone is ever going to get to a a price where he's affordable for the tight end eight to tight end 12 or 10 range that you're getting his production at yeah I'm with you I'm depressed that is depressing like if he what like what number does he have to hit for targets this year to like get you that assurance that he's going to be okay? Because for me, it's a really high number for targets still where I'm like, oh, OK, this is what we want out of TJ Hawkinson. It's like if he doesn't get 100 targets, like I'm fully out, which is kind of nuts for a tight end. But that's what he where needs I'm at. to at least get 100 targets like that. Yeah, would bare be minimum. Probably too little. And with all their additions, is he going to get it? You would have thought. I just feel like he's always injured, too. Even if he's playing, he's banged up. And maybe, like, if if he's not injured and he plays and, like, I don't know, maybe he becomes more efficient with those targets and maybe some extra talent on the field is going to help. I don't think It'll help the with talent... touchdowns, hopefully. Maybe he can get more touchdowns, and that will make up for a ton of targets. He doesn't really need all the targets. He needs to get, score some touchdowns. And maybe with the other offensive pieces, that'll help with that. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. I just want him to find success, but at a cheaper cost to me. 
<laughs> is that so much to ask? Remember when I was uh, saying Mark Andrews over Stop. TJ Hawkinson? Wait, all offseason. This is what I was going to say. I'm so sick wait, of this. Wait. I'm sick of hearing what, about it. What I was going to say, and then TJ Hawkinson had his massive week one, and I looked like an idiot. And, and then, then I victory <laughs> and then, like, yeah, I victory left. Yeah, you did victory left right after that. And then it completely changed. For he was season. injured. He had his Sammy Watkins week one where yeah. <laughs> it just exploded. Uh, all right, Jake, let's get into your second guy. Who who are you giving one more chance to? And I need to hear your reasonings as to why he, this guy gets another shot. Yeah, let's let's keep the tight end pseudo love going here, I guess, for Evan Ingram. I understand. I understand the hesitancy here. I, I have plenty of it myself. I do. But what gives me hope for Evan Ingram is like, hey, remember that rookie season? You know, he was the tight end four. And wasn't that amazing? And it was like one of the all-time best points per game, you know, fantasy showings of any rookie tight end. And I have a distorted view. And I think that some of us do of what Evan Ingram did after that. Because his big issue really is injuries. I mean, it has been throughout his career for the most part. It's injuries. Because if you look... And touchdowns, yes. So he actually only scored more than three touchdowns in that rookie season. That's the only time he's done that. Everything else has been three or lower. But, you know, you can't score touchdowns when you're not on the field also. So that's a a big detriment. Now, if you only look at points per game, though, it's not as bad as I think of it in my head because... Yes, he was tight end four his rookie season. The year after that, tight end seven. The year after that, tight end seven. He starts to go down downhill completely in 2020. It really feels like he dropped off the map. Because, yeah, and he's tight end 20, tight end 28 the year after. It's like, I think that we could be looking at a little bit of a situation of an Allen Robinson-esque year in Chicago here that he had last year, where it's just like, it feels like the entire team, the entire Giants team, got the life zapped out of them at some point around 2020. So I'm willing to allow the idea that a change of scenery is going to be huge for him. And if it doesn't happen this year with Doug Peterson, who, by the way, Mike Clay tweeted this out, that in each of uh, Peterson's five seasons where he was a play caller in Philadelphia, the tight end units finished no lower than third in routes, third in targets, Third in receptions, third in yards, and third in fantasy points. Now, yeah, I mean, Zach Ertz is great, of course, and Dallas Goddard is great. But Evan Ingram was great as a prospect. He proved that he can do it in his first couple years into the league. So it's like he could get back to that. You know, I expect the 12 personnel usage, so two tight ends with him and Dan Arnold to be a big thing because they don't have a lot of wide receiver options. I mean, we've talked about this already, but it's not like Jacksonville is a flush with top end wide receiver talent. So I could see them doing a lot of that. What you don't love their uh, Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. I sure don't. Lots of money to those guys. Two alpha wide receivers. If I've ever seen them. (laughs) I'd rather have Marv out of all of them, but none of them really inspire confidence. I forgot he's still there. Marvin Jones, baby. Mm -hmm. He is their best wide receiver still likely (laughs) after all that money. All right, my second guy is CeeDee Lamb, Cowboys wide receiver. And this is my last chance to give him to be an elite wide receiver, right? Like It might be crazy to say last chance you. like I'm giving you one more chance when he was the wide receiver 15 last year, but I need to see him make that jump, right? Coming out of school, we thought he was going to be uh, like one of the best wide receivers in the NFL after a couple seasons. 
Well, now it's been two seasons. He's going into his third. We need to see that jump. He, Like I said, he was a wide receiver 15 last season, tied for wide receiver 17 and points per game. That was tied with Hunter Renfro and Brandon Cooks. That's just not what we were expecting, right? He was being drafted high, really high last year. We needed more out of him. He had a, a, a top 12 performance in just 19% of his games. He had a wide receiver 25 or worse performance in 56% of his games. He scored 10 or fewer points in seven games. That's just, that's not okay, right? And then he had a, some mad games in between those, only three games above 20 fantasy points. We need him to be better. We need him to be more consistent. And I think the biggest thing was that is that he only had 18.8% of targets last year. That is far too low. That is the same amount of target, like percent of targets as Mike Gusecki had on the Dolphins. Mike Gusecki uh. had the same target share on the Dolphins as CD Lamb, a, a top tier wide receiver. Like he, he is super talented, got on the Cowboys. We have to see that increase. And it should increase, you would think, with Amari Cooper gone, Cedric Wilson gone, Michael Gallup likely to be out the start of the season recovering from the ACL tear. There is no reason that C.D. Lamb's not seeing 25% of target share. I mean, that's what Michael Pittman saw last year. This is not a crazy percentage. Michael Pittman saw that. D.J. Moore was at 28%. The Cooper Cup was above like 31%. So I'm not asking for Cooper Cup level. I'm asking for just 25%. And if we can't see him get that level for whatever reason, I don't know why the Cowboys wouldn't give him that, but if he cannot see that target share – in his third season, as the clear-cut wide receiver one, a guy coming out of school with such a big name drafted so early, then I'm pretty much out on him ever being that elite wide receiver th we thought he would be. Like, he needs to have a massive year this year, as he should. And I'm talking, like, 1,200-plus yards, 8-plus touchdowns. Like, he needs to have that kind of year. Here's my issue, though, with C.D. Lamb, is that he's now disappointed you in two straight seasons. Well, the first season was his rookie year. That's fine. And he had a pretty solid rookie year. That's fine. Uh, but he So still... if he disappointed you in his rookie season, then that's shame on you. Okay. Then what about his sophomore season? That was a massive disappointment. It was yes. a massive disappointment. But I'm not getting any discount here for You're not. where he disappointed me. He's still being drafted as the wide receiver eight. Yep. Why am I going to buy into him as the wide receiver eight when – like, do we really think, really think that the lack of jump in in year two was like a coincidence? I don't know. I, I just, I Would have... you be that shocked? Jake, I'll ask you, would you be that shocked if I tell you CeeDee Lamb in 2022 will have 1,400 yards and eight touchdowns? Would it, you be like, oh my God. I don't think God. anybody would be shocked by that, but I do think that people would be shocked to know that he's only had six total finishes as a wide receiver one in his career. And that means top 12. Top 12 performances. That's pretty crazy. Six total. Like, that's insane for a guy that's being drafted as wide receiver eight who was a massive disappointment in 2021. Like, he's hurt you. He killed you at the end of last season. Literally every single week, week 13 on, had fewer and fewer and fewer fantasy points until he stuck the knife into your throat 
in week 17, oh. which was probably your fantasy championships, and put up a whopping eight points in PPR leagues. Like, this dude killed so this you. This is why and he's on Last Chance You, Kate. This, I know. No, I know. But, like, it's not Last Chance You for most people. And this is what drives me crazy is that we haven't gotten any sort of a discount for the most recent performance that we've seen. And you know what? Like, usually recency bias, like, works in our favor, I feel like. We usually are able to benefit because, like, oh, maybe, uh, you know, it, so, or it usually, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm working myself into a tizzy. Normally, <laughs> if you have a bad year, people are like, oh, you suck. And, you know, yes, ADP yes, goes down yes. so far. I think the reason his ADP is staying up is because Amari Cooper left. That's I think if Amari of opportunity, Cooper but is I, still there, then he's not getting drafted this high. And people are saying, oh, well, he couldn't do it last year. Like, I'm staying away a little bit. But since Amari Cooper left and he has this clear opportunity to be the wide receiver, one basically the only wide receiver. I love Jalen Tolbert, the rookie, but like, let's be realistic. It's It should be the C.D. Lamb show. It really should it's be. It's just so funny that – uh, Amari Cooper was the reason the the barrier to CeeDee Lamb's success, but like nobody thinks he's capable of being a wide receiver with a uh, wide receiver one with the Browns. Like he's just a landmine. That's all he is. Well, if I mean, I think if anyone thought that Deshaun Watson was going to be the quarterback for the Browns this year, or even Baker Mayfield, Amari Cooper would have some his ADB would be higher, but we might be going into the season with Jacoby Brissett. Like, no, I don't want any wide receiver playing with Jacoby Brissett. So but the I, thing I with CD lamb is like, if you just looked at his numbers from last year, like I understand it was a disappointing. And this dude. Yeah. And we're crushing him. If you just looked at that, like offhand without putting it into any sort of context, you'd be like, yeah, dude's fine. Like he'll be fine. I think what's frightening for me, at least is like, yeah, like you said, 1400 yards is kind of your cutoff for him. Like, kind of living up to expectations this year, but is he going to get more than 10% of the red zone targets like he did last year? I don't know. I don't know if he's that guy. I don't know if Mike McCarthy wants him to be that guy. He wants his wide receivers to be beefy and, you know, uh, really take up some space in the the end zone. I don't know if he wants CeeDee Lamb to get that. So that's my hesitation with him. So, Kate, you and I both love Deontay Johnson, right? He had only 50 more receiving yards than CeeDee Lamb last year on 30 more receptions. Yeah, but he got 30 more receptions. Yeah, so he's better mm. for PPR, yes. That's exactly my point. Will he get those same amount of receptions with Mitch Trubisky? Will they throw as much? Who knows? I love Deontay Johnson. I'm still drafting him everywhere. I, but like but I mean, Deontay- Maybe we are being a little too hard on CeeDee Lamb. I do think he was a massive disappointment for last year. And like I said, I, he's on last chance you for a reason. I'm putting him on this list for a reason because if he disappoints me again this year, I'm out. I'm out. I'm never but drafting this, him early again. This also comes back to, I mean, look at the touchdowns. In each of the last two seasons, Deontay Johnson has out-touchdowned, did, yeah. uh, out-touchdowned, did, <laughs> CD Lamb. Um, like, in back-to-back seasons, I, we've seen – Deontay Johnson very much keep pace with CeeDee Lamb, and I can get Deontay Johnson probably two to three rounds later. At That's two. true. There is a different ADP, and if I'm choosing one, especially in PPR leagues, definitely taking Deontay Johnson at his cost, even if they're the same cost. In PPR leagues, I'm probably still – I don't know. I do think CeeDee Lamb has a much higher ceiling than Deontay Johnson. Like, I would be shocked. In if- PPR? 
a higher like I would be shocked if you told me Deontay Johnson put up 1400 yards in a season that would that would particularly shock me it would not shock me to hear that about CeeDee Lamb but I do think Johnson's yards per reception go up this year um so hopefully we can see it I think he's an amazing wide receiver amazing so hopefully we can see that jump up back-to-back seasons with 144 targets and I think 144 targets is like where I would cap CD Lamb. Yeah. But I think 144 targets for CD Lamb would be a lot more meaningful. That's fine, but I I can get I can get Deontay yeah. Johnson as the I, wide receiver listen, 13. I am fine with anyone who does not feel comfortable taking CD Lamb at the ADP. I get it. CD Lamb going right at the uh beginning of the third round or at end of the second round. Um, at his wide receiver eight cost, Deontay Johnson going at number 39 overall, which mid to late third. So one round different. It's 19 picks different. So it's a full round and a half different. It was mid to late fourth. Oh, my bad. Your math is bad. Hey. Jake. Jake, Sorry, Kate, you were just talking about – CeeDee Lamb so much, I thought that was your person, and we we're moving on to the next. But no, we're actually getting into your second person now. <laughs> Who is it? Um, I don't even remember at this point. It's not relevant. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It's uh, Tua. It's Tua, uh, which I hate. What's his last name? Tugavaloa. Okay. I hate I hate talking bad about Tua, and I'm not trying to bring you're my boy down. You're not talking bad about him if you're giving him one more shot. I I'm mean, you're being him- nicer than everybody else. I am. I'm giving him one more shot. Uh, currently being drafted as the quarterback 17. So you're not really making a big investment in Tua. And so, like, if you draft him as the quarterback 17 and he doesn't hit, like, who cares? Who, who cares? I, I just, like, it doesn't matter. Um, dra- being drafted just ahead of Justin Fields, which makes me a little iffy. I like the the rushing upside there of Justin Fields, but like QB seven seventeen feels about right for him. But looking at his historical stats, just one career game with more than two passing touchdowns in his twenty one career starts. That's brutal. Uh, I think one of the things that we've credited Tua with is just his, um, you know, his balance of arm, but. He still sort of had that that mobility factor. He's had just only two games with more than 30 rushing yards. He's had five rushing touchdowns. But just the ceiling doesn't feel super high when you're looking at the actual stats. And that, it makes me nervous. But when you look at the weapons and what they have in Jalen Waddell, like the addition of Tyreek Hill, I think, changes that offense completely I'll give him the last chance because the weapons should be an upgrade for him and if he can't do it with this group of receivers I don't think he can do it but it like I I like to uh I think more and more theoretically and less and less uh based on any sort of statistical analysis yeah. Because it's I, kind of like you have to throw anybody into that offense and you'd be like, yeah, they'll probably be good. Right? Like, it's not like Tua. It's not like, oh, Tua is going to be really good. It's just anybody should hypothetically be good if they're a talented quarterback in that offense. 
Yeah, or you can get the type of situation. Their new coach is Mike McDaniel's. Mike McDaniel? Mike McDaniel. Um, Only one Daniel. He's coming from the 49ers. And, you know, we just saw Devo Samuel be the wide receiver three in fantasy football. George Kittle is amazing. Brandon Ayuk finally came along in the second half of season, but very talented player. Good running game. Just good overall team, right? Jimmy Garoppolo did his thing. He got to the NFC Championship, but was not useful for fantasy really at all. Uh, like that could be Tua, right? Maybe Ty- Tyreek Hill is really good. Maybe Jalen, like they switch on and off weeks. Maybe they're pretty good. It doesn't mean that Tua is going to be super fantasy relevant. But I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was usable at times. And hopefully Tua yeah. is better than Jimmy, I guess is what you're banking on. He's better quarterback. Um, but I'm happy. Which I think is true. One more chance. I'm probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does like so Tua and Jalen Waddle, they don't hold any weight for you in terms of giving him Tyree against Jalen Waddle. I mean, I think he will perform. I think he'll look better on the field. Uh, I think he'll perform better. I just don't know how much that's going to turn into fantasy points because he's not like a rushing guy. I don't, I don't know. I'm not like dying to get to a, in a super flex league. I actually am okay taking a shot on him later in drafts as my second quarterback. Maybe he can have like a Derek Carr type season where he's like a pretty serviceable and steady quarterback too, but he's never going to like win you weeks too often. Uh, I don't hate him as a quarterback too, but I don't hate him personally. In, in a one quarterback <laughs> league, I wouldn't think about taking him. Jake, would you? No, I think there's too many other upside guys that I'd rather take. Like you mentioned, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. I would rather take both of them just because the the ceiling is crazy for those two. Even though the floor is absolutely nothing, I'd still rather do that. Yeah, and I would much rather Trey Lance as well, who you can get a little Hmm. bit later. There's just too many upside guys that you can draft later to there's no way Trey Lance is going to be drafted after Tua. Well, not after Tua. I meant later in drafts. I meant, oh, okay. Sorry. I didn't As like complete. a later I round quarterback. I didn't complete that sentence. You can get Trey Lance. He's not going to be super expensive. Like, there's too many guys that are going in that range. Even Dak Prescott's going later than I would have thought he was. I know, like, a month ago I said maybe let's fade Dak Prescott a little bit. But, I mean, the ADP's doing that. So I mean, if he, y'all are listening, if he ends up being a seventh or eighth round quarterback, then yeah, I'm going to take Dak at that point. I just didn't want him at the same range of some of the other higher guys, but, um, it all depends on where these guys are at, but I cannot imagine drafting two in a one quarterback league, but in a super flex league, two quarterback league. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right, that's it for today's show. I'm your host, Michelle. You can find me on Twitter at BobBlastEm, BobBlastEm. And you can find me, Kate, at FFBobBlast. You can find me, Jake, at Jake Trowbridge with a W. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week's Ball Blast Fantasy Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave those five-star reviews, and check out BallBlastFootball.com for more league-winning advice.